1208. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Now, Eric, you know, you're know you in management around here. We might need you to hang around because... Here, no, no, because you never know exactly what's going to happen. See, behind the scenes, it, it's actually quite nice. We're having a the, the, the radio station, the TV station, having a party today. And yeah. they've got... They, they've actually... They've got a food truck that's out there that's making Mexican food and stuff. And they've got all sorts of stuff set up. And it's, it, it, it's great. So, I mean, I went out there and they have a choice of all sorts of different things... Um, I saw the nachos. I mean, I'm telling you, the, these things, I mean, it, it's piled high with meat and sour cream and yes. jalapeno yes. peppers and olives. I mean, it's it stacked out tall. And and I think it would be great, except, um, truthfully, if I had gotten that <laughs> about 15 minutes into this program, there, there'd be really, really long commercial breaks. It just, I mean, I just, I just kind of know that. I am afraid, however, that my producer indulged in the nachos or is seriously thinking about the nachos. So I, I don't know. You know, it, it, there there might be one of these moments where if the phone lines are like full and I'm looking and looking, <laughs> that nobody's answering the phones. It, we're going to blame it on the nachos. Yeah, we're yeah. going to blame it. But but actually, that, I, in addition to that, so that's going to be a little bit of be the behind the scenes drama here. I, I did want to acknowledge this. A, a lot of times. And allow me to be self indulgent for a minute. A lot of times, uh, it, p- people. If you are a listener, you, you know my name. There's people that you listen to on the air that you hear. But the truth is we could not do what we do without this incredible support staff that exists behind the scenes here, whether it's the, the salespeople or whether it's the producers or whether it's the people that just keep things going. And uh, I think, I guess it's tomorrow. One of the reasons they're having this party is to also acknowledge a, a dear friend of the station, Jim Drake, who's been one of the guys um, I call him Sir Jim, and he calls me just Sir. Yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah. we've been friends. He's been here for 31 years. I've been here for 20. I know you've been here for 18 yeah. or 19 yep, or something yep. like that. But Jim's been one of the guys who's been sort of the kind of like the glue behind the scenes that that, that keeps this station together, radio and, and TV. If there's stuff that needs being done around the building, he just takes care of yeah. it. In, yep. He's just been tremendous. And uh, his last day after 31 years here is tomorrow. So I, I actually got a chance to sit and talk to him and his wife, you know, in the line when I was waiting to get the food. And um, I think he's looking forward to the next stage of his life. And he shares a- an interest in music and our musical tastes kind of run along the same lines. But uh, this is partly a party for him. And I just wanted to take a minute at the start of the program. And I, I know you've known Jim and worked oh, with him gosh. for a long time. And- yeah. yeah, it's the that guy that you always see in the hallway every day who always makes you smile. Right, you can never not have a good conversation with him. He always has something thoughtful to provide. Just a nice gentleman, a genuine human being. Right, and and it's involved in all these different levels yes. of maintaining the building. No, well, the stuff that you you need to be done. So if I'm sitting here and I suddenly look up and I, I feel like I'm in the dark more than usual because there's all these light bulbs that are out or so. He's he's the guy that that you know ends up changing those, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's just the guy that keeps the keeps the trains running on time if you and I are the trains. He keeps yep. us running on time and for 20 years he's made my job a lot easier and I consider him to be a friend and um, I certainly wish him the best. So I was in line at the food truck. So I got to get out there now. A- absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you go with it. Tell me, well, you got to do some newscasts <laughs> later on. I'm, I'm telling you, the nachos look great. I, I got the two steak tacos and, and they're very, very good. I'm just saying that these nachos looked a little bit dangerous there. <laughs> so I'm just just I'll saying. We'll so see. Maybe I'll gamble. If we'll you see. see my producer in that line, it's like, hey, you know, you, you know after three o'clock, you can do whatever you want, but for at least you're on the clock for a while. Um, all right, just a half hour show yesterday. It was interesting. Um, I know some people might have known about this. I, I went to the Brewers game yesterday afternoon, and I um, my wife went with me, and so I actually 
we left right after she was off of work yesterday. She got to work the next four nights. So um, she was off work yesterday. So she just came in with me, sat in the studio. And we actually took a couple pictures that were posted at various places. I was kind of kidding around. I said, oh, let's take your wife to work day. And we kind of put that up on one of the postings. And all these people saying, was it really take your wife to work day? We didn't know. Well, it was <clears throat> it was for the Wagners. Um, but then ended up going to the ball game. What a great game. Uh, the Brewers shutting out the Cubs two days in a row. I was beginning to think that I was a jinx because the last homestand where they won eight out of ten, I went to the two games that they ended up losing. I also went to one of the games that they won. But, um, all right, I was there Tuesday night when they beat the Cubs 4 nothing. I was there yesterday when they beat the Cubs one nothing. All right, just maybe maybe they're kind of turning the corner. But I'm telling you, this is a good baseball team. And if you get a chance, uh, they had... They had pushing 40,000 last night, yesterday afternoon. I didn't see the, the actual attendance numbers, but this is a good team. And uh, now that the weather's turned well, it's it's great. It was a great afternoon at the ballpark, and Tuesday night was a great night. So get on out there and enjoy the Brewers. Um, this could be something special. And if you can't get out there, of course, listen to it on WTMJ. Speaking of the Brewers, I understand that the Miller Park sales tax continues to be a controversial subject with some. As someone who was doing a radio program when that fight was going on, I still have, figuratively speaking, some of the psychological scars. And And I understand that there's a lot of people who just, that, that the argument was that the common person should not have to pay more in a sales tax so you can build a ballpark where, you know, millionaires and billionaires can go to hang out. I, I understand that argument. I always believed that Miller Park would have was going to be a good investment because number one, it kept Major League Baseball in this community, and I thought that was good. Number two, I thought it was going to help revitalize the um, the area, and number three, I thought it was a relatively small price to pay for the benefit. But I understand, and particularly in Racine, I, I still get emails and calls from people if we discuss topics related to this. Folks in Racine going. What what direct benefit do we get? Why are we paying a sales tax for Miller Park? Um, why you know why is, isn't Brown County paying a sales tax for Miller Park? And why is it lim- why is it five counties? And why are we rolled in? Well, all right, that ship sailed. That debate is over. Now, the Miller Park sales tax is about to sunset. Um, it will sunset sometime, meaning end. That it will end sometime. They expect in either 2019 or 2020. The Miller Park sales tax um, generates, well, it depends on, on the year. But, um, for example, I think last year it generated about $31 million. Now, that's a five-county sales tax. Of that $31 million, somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 million comes from Milwaukee County, the rest from the other surrounding four counties. The sales tax is going to end, though. Now, this is something that I'm a point that I made 15, 20 years ago when we were having this argument. One of the problems with taxes is that once they get put in place, they really never disappear. You know, we've seen this with phone fees that they put on here. We're going to put on a fee because we want to have a long distance service, better telephone service in rural areas. Well, okay, you use that. After a while, you get to the point where you don't need it for that anymore. But then the argument is, well, people aren't really noticing that there's that extra $3 charge or whatever on their phone bills. It's only a couple bucks here. Let's keep sticking it to them. And people don't notice. 
That's why taxes rarely go away. It's one of the reasons you need to be so careful when people are talking about, you know, imposing new taxes. An exception to that is in Brown County. You know, Brown County in, put on a sales tax to help finance improvements to Lambeau Field. The pr- improvements were financed and the, the tax sunsetted. It went away, which is to the credit of Brown County. The Miller Park sales tax is now, well, it's getting ready to go away. And just like night follows day, you now have some people in the community, including some former politicians, who are saying, well, why don't we keep this tax in place? Now, you heard some of this on our air this morning. Uh, Pat Jerzyk, who is a former Milwaukee County supervisor, go figure that, um, she's now affiliated with one of these sort of public interest groups, you know, the Save Our Parks, the, the folks who have decided that they're going to be the watchdogs of, of the park system. And she, together with other people, are out there saying, well, here's what we should maybe do. Um, we need to fund improvements to the parks. So, hey, if the Milwaukee County portion of this sales tax generates $15 million a year, it's something that's been in place for the last 15 or 20 years, People in Milwaukee County, well, they don't notice this anymore. So why don't we take this dough that's being generated by this tax and rather than having the tax sunset go away, let's just take that money and let's keep it going. Let's apply it to the parks. Now, this is not necessarily a novel idea because there's other groups that are out there that are proposing the same thing. For example, uh, the Milwaukee County Safety Building where they, they hold the trials and stuff like that, that that needs to go. It, it's a major league fire trap. It's you know pretty much unsafe, and, and it needs to be replaced. And so one of the ideas that some people in the community are, pos- are saying is, hey, you know we need to generate all this money to build a new safety building. I have it. Let's continue the Miller Park uh, sales tax. So you have all these different competing groups right now that are out there arguing Let's take this sales tax. Let's keep it running. People don't notice it. People aren't going to care. Let's not have it go away. Let's just use it for column A or column B or column C or whatever. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This sales tax was sold to the public on the promise that it was going to go away. I think it would be a betrayal of the public trust in the highest extreme not to have it go away as scheduled. If you want to have a debate about should we have a completely new tax to fund the safety building or a new tax to fund the parks or whatever, all right, that's fine. But the idea of extending a Miller Park sales tax that we were promised would go away when its purpose was served, I think is a non-starter. I think it should be a non-starter. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We were promised it was going to go away. Lots of us expended a lot of capital arguing for building Miller Park based on this sales tax and based on the promise that was going to go away. I think it would be a betrayal of everyone to suggest let's just continue this. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss when we come back. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let let me be clear if I wasn't before. This proposal to continue the the Miller County tax, Miller Park tax, 
beyond its expiration date and use the money for the parks. It's only directed at the Milwaukee County portion of it. So if anybody misunderstood me, if you're if you're in Ozaki County, the, the, <laughs> the former supervisor, Milwaukee County Supervisor Pat Jurisic, it isn't saying, I don't think, I'm sure, no, she's not saying, gee, people in Ozaki County should pay to support the um, Milwaukee County Parks. We're, we're talking about continuing it for Milwaukee County. I think it needs to die, period. Taxes that are enacted for certain purposes, when those purposes are finished, they need to go away. That is the commitment, that is the promise that is made to the people when those taxes are, in fact, um, introduced. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Very well. Thank you, sir. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, the thing is, is that would be a huge betrayal of trust because that was one of the major issues. And that's what everybody brought up when they were originally trying to do it. In fact, you know, the same thing with, you know, the thing with Lambeau Field and all that right. other stuff. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, what do they always say? Once, once they get a sales tax, it never goes away, even though they promised. Right. You know, you're breaking a contract with the people, and it, that's going to that's going to screw everything up going forward. Well, well, right, because you can never trust politicians. Yeah, but we see this over and over again with whether it's user fees or taxes. The idea that we we sell it and then people get used to it. It's the idea is oh, it's only a couple pennies. You know, people don't notice it anymore. Well, all right, it was it was sold to us with the idea that it was for a specific purpose and it was going to go away. Once that purpose is solved, served, it needs to go away, period, yeah, I mean, case if, closed. If you, you try doing that in the business world, you didn't, you'd, you'd be breaking the law. You'd, have a, you know, it'd be a violation of a contract. Well, it's, yeah, you, it's but, with, 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 right. but with the government, you're exactly right. Then it, it's the fees. And, you know, you see this, again, you know, I, I go back to the example. If you look at your, like, phone bills, your cable bills, there's all that this small print. Yeah. And, you know, what you'll see is these different yeah. fees. They were put in for one purpose. In many cases... It's now being used for something completely different because they figure people don't know. Well, I don't know. You and I noticed, Dave. Well, yeah. I mean, there was supposed to be there was there was a big deal. With, I don't know how many years back it was with the whole uh, funding the well the nine one one system right. or, or whatever it was uh, that was tacked onto your phone bill, and it wound up nothing ever right became of it. Well, right, it, right. Thanks. Well, and it just never goes away. Uh, right. Thanks for the call, Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Well, hello, Jeff. How are you? Good. Good. So, I, yeah, you know, I really don't notice it. And honestly, if it can go to a good cause like the parks, I would be in full favor of that. We need to continue to support our parks and uh, actually, our, you know, our, our foundation. Well, well why, why spend it on the parks then instead of the, the safety building or instead of helping the homeless? I mean, why, why would we single out the parks? I mean, there's lots of good causes that are out there. Well, don't we have the uh, the coin list or the, the the things at the airport for collecting uh, money for the homeless? Well, we're, we're, we are going to start. We're going to start begging money. I don't know that they've done that yet, but they're going to start begging money from people to, to throw coins in there. But um, but well, again, there's I, all sorts of there's all sorts of cause. I guess why it, it, you have a tax that was enacted for a specific purpose. The fact that that purpose has been solved. You don't see a problem with continuing the tax for, you know, what whatever else cause somebody might want to advance. No, I don't. No. Okay, well, thanks for the call. I mean, that's that that's what, what people like Pat Jurisic are hoping that's the majority of it. I to me this and I guess I, I'm sort of sensitive to this because I took grew I took a lot of heat 
And I know my, my friend and colleague, Charlie Sykes, we took a lot of heat back at the Miller Park fight. This was this huge fight. And I took this position that I thought Miller Park was going to be a good investment. I thought it was worth putting those taxes on, even though I understood a lot of the issues. But the reason we went out, or at least the reason I went out and, and argued in favor of this, was because we were promised that this was a specific tax for a specific purpose. This wasn't just some general use tax. And now what you have is there are people who are saying, betray that promise. All right, there's, don't you support the parks? Well, yeah, I, I like to support the parks, but I have a feeling, I will tell you, I think there's all sorts of other ways that we could generate revenue from the parks for the parks, including, hang on to your hat, maybe selling off some of the park space that we have. Oh, how could you say that? Well, all right, we should have sold off, um, you know, O'Donnell Park. No question, that should have been sold off. We would have raised millions of dollars of revenue. There's all sorts of things that should have been done. But this tax was sold on the idea that once the stadium was paid for, and I understand there's ongoing costs, but what once that's going to be done, the tax is going to go away. I don't think it is right to go back to the public and say, and I appreciate Paul saying, well, I hardly notice it. I, that's the whole idea. That's how politicians get into your pockets. You hardly notice it after a while. So, you know, what the heck? Let's take the dough. This, to me, is a complete and total non-starter. And if people in the county board or the county executive or the state legislature, I don't see it going anywhere in the state legislature. Bottom line is, when Miller Park is paid for, this tax needs to go away. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, speaking of Miller Park, now, to give you perspective, I go to a lot of Brewers games. This is the year I, I broke down, and uh, my my best friend Evan and I we bought a uh, we bought a twenty pack of, of tickets, two tickets. So I we got those twenty games, and I, I I've used mo- most of them. I go occasionally. I've had a conflict, so I give him the ticket, and once in a while I'll take the ticket. But most of the times we we go together. We went together on Tuesday night. I also um, go to other games uh, occasionally. Sometimes. WTMJ gets access to tickets, and I get them. Other times, like yesterday, my, my wife was off, so we decided we were going to go to the game. So we, we 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 bought tickets. Yesterday, we went there, as I was saying, after the show. So I got there. Normally, I get there. My, my routine is I get to Miller Park typically, oh, 45 minutes or so before a game and get in, and um, we'll, we'll typically stand outside on the concourse and have a beer and then then go in. That That's my typical uh, my, my typical modus operandi. Yesterday, I got there right before the game started, um, just because I had to do the radio show, so I got a late start, and then the place where I normally park, that lot was full, so I had to get redirected to another place, and it was crowded. I mean, big big crowds, and I, I think that's great. I was thanking everybody from Chicago for coming up and inviting them to come back and make sure they spend a, a lot of money. So I was later going into the games than I, I typically am, and I'm, I'm in with all the, the, the crowds. There was, I would say, a large police presence. And, and there's always Milwaukee police officers that are around. And they're performing a number of functions. Some are out there directing traffic, keeping traffic flowing. Um, there's some that are just offering directions. And there's some that are there to offer directions, but also clearly are a security presence. I, I noticed this yesterday, but I've noticed it before. The, some, not all, but some of the Milwaukee police officers who are there on duty 
are are armed. Um, they're they're carrying, you know, the the assault. They're carrying assault rifles. Um, now they're not brandishing them. They're not pointing them at the crowd, but they've got them around their neck and they're wearing bulletproof vests. That's not all the police that are there, but it's. You know, it's some of the police. I don't know how many, and they probably, I'm sure even if I asked, they wouldn't tell me. But it, it, there's, there's some of them that are armed with the, the, um, so-called assault rifles. Not, not everybody. And I guess I, I've noticed that this year. I've seen this at other sports venues in Wisconsin and across the country. And candidly, I, I don't, I don't think anything of it. I mean, I guess my general reaction to this is, well, good. I, I'm sort of glad, given the fact that we live in the kind of world we live in, where you do have psychopaths or terrorists who are out there who are, you know, looking to cause all sorts of havoc. Well, I mean, I, I guess when you look at a place where you've got, you know, going to be 40,000 people in one location, and yes, you get screened. When you're going through Miller Park, you got to go through a metal detector. When you're going into the stadium itself, you don't get screened when you go in the parking lot. You know, who knows what somebody could have? And I guess I've always kind of looked at the fact that you've got police officers who are, at least some, carrying a bit of firepower, and I've never thought twice about it. I, I, I haven't. If I give it any thought, my reaction is, well, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, I'm glad that I mean if, if if there was some kook that you know showed up somewhere that had somebody you know had a rifle or something in their trunk or whatever. I'm I'm glad that you have a police presence that's there. I'm glad that you have officers who could respond in in kind. That's my reaction to this. I was thinking about it because there's a story in the online edition of the paper, maybe it's going to make the print edition tomorrow, don't know, by one of their columnists, Jim Stingle. The headline, Sign of the Times, Police at Brewers Games Now Armed with Eye-Catching Assault Rifles. Let me read you the first portion of it. You're walking toward Miller Park from the parking lot, feeling relaxed from a tailgate buzz, and then you see it. A Milwaukee police officer with a military-style assault rifle strapped across his chest. It's a sobering sight. Are we in some kind of danger, one fan um, asked, boldly walking right up to one of the two officers I saw armed that way at Tuesday night's Brewers-Cubs game. It's kind of a sign of the times, I heard the officer reply. The blunt truth is he's standing there in case of terrorism, etc., etc. And then Stingle goes on and he interviews some people, several of whom have the same attitude that I have, which is, gee, I'm, I'm glad the police you know, have those firearms. Other people say, is it necessary to have a machine gun? I never thought I'd see one here. Another person says, I think it's way over the top. How much firepower do you need? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a matter of controversy? Is this something that, oh my gosh, isn't, isn't this terrible that you've got, you know, police officers that are carrying this type of firepower and they're standing outside of games? I got to tell you, of all the different things that I worry about, this is probably on my list of 100. This is probably 1,005. I'm glad that you have law enforcement officers who are, their assignment is to protect me. Their assignment is to protect you. And, yeah, the fact is, in today's day and age, and maybe it's a sad reflection on society, but, but yeah, that they're there to protect us. And I guess... I don't even notice it anymore, but now that I think about it, it's, yeah, I, I don't mind having this show of firepower, and maybe maybe it acts, even acts as a deterrent, so if there's some kook out there that thinks that this would be a target-rich opportunity, they may be discouraged. 
But I have no problem at all with police showing up in this type of, with this type of firepower. Their job is to keep us safe. And candidly, the more I think about it, I, I hope they have a lot of officers that are there armed like this because I think the more officers you have and the more presence you have like this, the safer the rest of us are. 414-799-1620. We will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I guess I just don't see this as a controversy. And for the people that told the reporter how they were just appalled, my words, not necessarily theirs, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I want to be safe, and I don't have a problem with armed police officers making a public show of force to discourage the bad guys. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If, uh, if, if you're just tuning in, if you go to a Brewers game this year, the Milwaukee police provide security. If you will, and there's going to be a piece that's on JS Online, one of the reporters goes out there. And I mean, I've noticed this. I guess I didn't think anything of it, but there are some Milwaukee police officers who are there and they've got their vests on and they're, they're carrying what I presume to be in their assault rifles. I presume that these fire in an automatic fashion. Don't know, but I mean, they're armed. They're, they're not hidden. They're, they're out there in public. Um, and I guess I've never really thought anything of it. Other venues do this as well. Uh, the story in the paper, there's people going up to the reporter and yeah, just saying, well, this is, this seems like overkill. Is it really necessary to have a machine gun? I think this is way over the top. How much firepower do you need? Well, to which my response is, well, these people are there to protect us. It is a crazy world. And I don't have a problem with the good guys having, you know, having enough firepower. I think it serves as a deterrent. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kevin in Oconomowoc. Kevin, you're first. Hello. Afternoon, Jeff. Hey, it's only overkill until it's one of their family members or relatives is involved in a mass tragedy shooting. Right. And the the, the the thing that really struck me as you were speaking this story is that the lack of awareness on the part of society speaks to the bigger apathy in America of paying attention to cultural events. When you think about it, you can't turn on any media source anytime and find no stories about some form of a shooting, whether it's two people being shot or Parkland, how mm-hmm. can you not look at right. that and think that, hey, it's nice to see law enforcement administration is thinking of us in time to protect us? Well, well, exactly. I mean, and I guess, I mean, you're going to have a police presence there regardless. So why would we not have at least some of the police officers armed in in the unlikely unthinkable event that something would happen i want somebody there that can perhaps respond to it quickly and be able to you know deal with the threat in that sort of fashion and i don't know about you um kevin but i'm not scared of the police (laughs) i mean i'm not scared about a police officer at miller park with a gun surely if if, if there were an event and those people didn't have those type of weapons the wailing and the gnashing of teeth would be nonstop. thanks for calling exactly i mean this is and again, this isn't a secret. This is, they are being very public about it. Other venues do this as well. They're there to send a message saying, okay, hey, this is going to be a secure, safe environment, and we are, we are prepared to respond to various threats. And I, for one, say, you know, bring it on. Pablo in Milwaukee. Pablo, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? My view is, if you can remember, the L.A. bank shootings were these bank robbers had uh, similar type of weapons, and L.A. police officers were forced to go to a local gun store in order to find 
uh, long life was to match the firepower. That was mm-hmm. A lot of time wasted, a lot of injuries resulted as of that. Since then, Wanna Police Department has switched their shotguns to long rifles mm-hmm. uh, to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, thanks for calling. That, that, that's the key thing. It, it is it is prepared. Look, and, and this is one where, you, I mean, I'm almost, I'm, I'm uncomfortable even a little bit talking about this because you, you don't, you, you hope that this never happens. I get it. We all go to, I'm a big Brewers fan. I go to a whole bunch of ball games. You go there to have fun. It's to be a release. You want to sit there for a few hours and just kind of forget about everything else that's going on in the world. That's one of the reasons I feel like I do about the demonstrations, you know, before the NFL games. I, I go there to be entertained. That's why people are coming there. And I understand that maybe it might be a little freaky if you're walking in with your kid and you walk past an armed police officer like this. But at the same time, that officer is there to make us safe. And for people who think it's overkill, well, I I hope it is. I hope it is overkill. I hope the fact that you've got this display of firepower that's there, the fact that they know anybody who might be thinking about showing up at a venue like Miller Park or Lambeau Field or wherever might realize that if they're going to try to do something, there are people who are there who will be capable of responding. And I think that's a good thing. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, let's go to Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, hello. Hi. Hi, Craig. Um, the people who are concerned about this should probably should not travel anywhere outside of the United States because it may <laughs> be new to people here. But if you go to any airport in a foreign country, the first thing you're going to see is a is armed. I, you know, it's, it's funny you should mention that a, a number of years ago now, it's been several years ago now, I remember flying through the Frankfurt Airport in Germany. Honest to goodness, <laughs> they, they they were dealing with, with like, like like the classic sort of German efficiency. There were there were guys with machine guns. There were bomb sniffing dogs. There, I mean, it was you, you. I mean, you felt secure. I mean, you also felt, oh my gosh, I got to go through this. You felt a little bit intimidated, but you also felt safe. I, I'll trade a little bit of intimidation for safe. Well, once you get used to seeing it, uh, and we were just in Italy. And it's not only the police they've got armed, which, you know, have blue uniforms, but they've got full camouflage soldiers that have that were just in the squares. And, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Right, right. Over there. So I think people just need to get used to it. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. And I, and I think and it is, I, I think it's, it's a positive. I don't know who makes this decision. I assume it's made in consultation, the police department with the, you know, the, the brewers or the packers or whatever. And I... I, and, and I, I do want to say, if you go to the games, it's not every officer. I mean, I was sitting there, it was Tuesday night, we were having a beer, like I say, in the Concord, before we go in, and, you know, there was an officer that was just standing there, he was just, you know, providing security at the door, I think he was armed with a handgun, but he wasn't carrying, you know, he wasn't in the, the vest and all, so it's not everybody that's there, but I, I, you know, they are obviously trying to anticipate possible scenarios, including worst-case scenarios. And I think it would be foolish for them not to prepare for the worst and then just be glad when you don't need to do this. And, and that's the ideal thing. But I, I want people preparing for the worst. And no, I don't think it's overkill. And yes, maybe it is an unfortunate sign of our times. But my goodness, you know, you have you have people that are all across the world for whatever whacked out reason who are going to public events and you know, trying to reap a, wreak a, a particular form of carnage. And I, I, I don't mind. I, I trust the police. I, I want that type of security. Let's talk to Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. 
uh, one of the questions was, how much firepower do you need? And you, you need more than your enemy. And yeah. a lot of these cops today have these weapons in their cars, and I think I would rather have it strapped to his chest then have him look at the bad guy and say, can you hang on a minute? Let me go in my car and get my, my weapon. <laughs> well, right. Or you get a report of something that's going on in the parking lot. I hate to even talk about that. But, I mean, it, it, right. it, it's the worst case scenario. So you have somebody who, again, you're right. You don't have to go to your, you don't have to go to the car or whatever. You're, you're there. You're ready to run to the scene and respond immediately. And seconds matter in a situation like that. And yeah. They do. And, and I don't think that the journalist is doing us all any favors by using the scary emotional trigger words like machine gun and military grade and assault rifle to describe the weapons they, they do that just to to build up and feed into the angst that's out there yeah and, um, and yeah, no i thanks for, and, i mean i, I want to i also want to confess that's one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about this because i found it interesting but i i i just i i was I did it. So obviously I made the choice. But one of the things that was going through my mind was, was, all right, I don't want to play into this either. That's why I started out this conversation by saying I'm somebody who goes to a lot of baseball games. I'll probably go to, now they play 81 games at home. I'll, I'll probably go to, I'll probably go to 30. I, that would be my guess. And so I've seen this. I, I've never thought twice about it. So I mean, in my opinion, there is absolutely no reason for anybody to be alarmed or deterred, but I understand why this is there. And again, the police officers—they're—they're—I mean, you—you you can interact with them. I mean, it's—it's—they're—they're the, there, and the police officers that are armed. I, I think they answer questions. They do the helpful stuff. They do the directions as well. It's just that they have that added responsibility that's there. Bottom line is, I, I applaud the police department, and I applaud to the extent the brewers are involved in this, and I'm certainly sure they am. I, I applaud them for doing this. And if—if we—I don't know what. Um, you know, Summerfest is coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll have Don Smiley on the program a couple of times. As a matter of fact, I talked to him just the other day about something else. You know, I, I, Summerfest is very conscious of security as well. And I, I don't know what the police presence is going to be both on the grounds and in the parking lots. I mean, I know they've got metal detectors and they're going to be taking people's bags and, you know, they're not going to be allowing stuff to go onto the grounds. But I don't know what the security presence is going to be in the parking lots or things like that. But you know what? I don't have a problem with that. The more of a show of of potential force that you have, I think the larger the deterrent is. And I would much rather have have firearms in the hands of qualified members of law enforcement and never have to use it than suddenly be scrambling to have to react to something. So all in all, go out to the ball game, have a have a good time, and I think perhaps know that all right, the, the brewers and the police department, they're on top of some of this stuff, and I think it's good. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 110, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, we've got that problem on the freeway, and we're going to continue to keep, keep yep. people updated. Yep, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll get you another update here in about five to ten minutes. Yeah, that's always, uh, that's always a bad area because you've got all that construction going into downtown, and then you've got people that are going to be going off one way to go down to the lakefront and another way to go straight over the high-rise, and then people who want to go west to go out on I-94, and you've got people who are merging from downtown, and then you add in a disabled semi, and you just get a stone-cold mess, but we will keep you updated. That's like the technical term for that. It's just a... Actually, there's another technical term, but I can't say it on the radio. We'll just say stone-cold mess and leave it like that. We will continue to keep you updated and let you know when that clears up. Let me um, – I, I, the, the report 
by the inspector general is out. It is 500 pages long. This is the report investigating James Comey and his handling of the Clinton email stuff like that. Let, let me let me save you the trouble. <laughs> you, you don't need to kill trees to download this and to try to read it and all. Here, here's the bottom line. It, it's pretty much actually, like I said, while this was first happening, namely, um, it, it comes to the conclusion that Comey is a bozo. Now, they say he's not politically motivated, but but kind of a bozo. Let me let me back up on this. And, and this, this is why, and I said this at the time this was happening, this was all so mind-boggling. You will remember at the height of the, the election, it's July, you've got Hillary Clinton running against Donald Trump. This is July of 2016. James Comey, who is then the director of the FBI, has this press conference where he starts talking about the criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton's server and all those type of things. And he outlines all this stuff that the investigation found um, that could be violations of various forms of federal law. And then he, he wraps up by saying, even though we found all this evidence, et cetera, et cetera, there aren't going to be any criminal charges that were issued. And that, of course, sets off this huge firestorm. Number of people saying they've never seen anything like this before, to which Comey then responds, well, I you know, I, I, I was a federal prosecutor myself. Nobody would issue these charges. And then there's a lot of other former federal prosecutors who say, we don't know what this guy's talking about. Of course, we would have issued charges based on this. All right. So at the time, um, Republicans are upset with Comey because he's outlined all this stuff that some people believe is arguably criminal. But yet he's concluded that there's not going to be any charges. Now, we'll, we'll get to the fact that the FBI doesn't decide on criminal charges in, in just a minute. But, all right, so that goes on. Republicans don't like Comey. Democrats love him because he's cleared Hillary Clinton. All right, then you get October, which rolls around, and Comey then has a second press conference where he says, well, we've reopened this investigation because, you know, we found this new stuff on the server of somebody. It turns out to be, you know, her aide, uh, Huma Aberdeen, and they, they find, you know, stuff there, and we, we're going to reexamine this. Well, at this point in time, you know, the Democrats all turn on Comey, and, oh, he's influenced the election, and now the Republicans who hated him love him, and, again, he's right in the middle of all this stuff. And then Democrats now love him because after the election, he's become like the leader of the anti-Trump forces. But but Comey's been on the, the, the seesaw. Republicans hated him. Democrats hated him. Now it's the Democrats that love him. It's the Republicans that hate him. Bottom line is he's a bozo. When, when all this was happening, I, I still I, I don't want to don't want to go too deeply into this, but I know a lot of people who either currently work for or have worked with the FBI, retired FBI agents, as well as some people who are currently with the FBI. I, I've talked to several of them, and I, I just it's so foreign to me what, how this whole thing happened. And I will tell you, um, Comey lost a lot of respect among rank and file FBI agents, present and retired, by the way he handled this. Here, here is why. The FBI is an investigative agency. The FBI does not issue federal criminal charges. What happens is the FBI investigates potential violations of federal law. They do it in conjunction with the local U.S. attorney's offices that are scheduled across the country 
or in, in some cases with the Department of Justice, you know, or in some cases, you know, special task forces from the Department of Justice. But but the FBI works hand in hand with a prosecuting attorney somewhere who is going to be typically directing the investigation. But you work in conjunction with it's 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 a partnership. I worked with lots of FBI agents. They would come in and they say, here, you know, we're doing this investigation into this type of fraud case or we're investigating a drug ring or we're investigating this bank robbery. And they would outline the evidence and they'd say, "Okay, this is the evidence we have. And then the prosecutor would sit down and say, "Okay, well, this is the stuff that I think we're going to need to get a prosecutable case or this is what I think we need to have. And then you work together and you issue subpoenas and things like that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the decision on whether to prosecute someone isn't made by an FBI agent or even the director of the FBI. The decision to prosecute or not prosecute is made by the prosecutor who is in charge. That's why you don't have local FBI agents, even the the special agent in charge of the Milwaukee Bureau, you don't have him holding a press conference saying, you know, we've investigated this crime and we've decided that there's going to be these various charges issued or that there's not going to be charges. You know, when you have a situation, for example, where there's a press conference and they're announcing a big prosecution, you'll have the U.S. attorney, you'll have a representative from the investigative agency, and they'll talk about it or not, but it's not something that's unilaterally done. And and this idea, it was so out of of protocol and out of the norm for the director of the FBI to have this press conference where he announced that there wasn't going to be criminal charges. As a matter of fact, just even announcing and confirming the existence of an investigation is something very, very rare. I mean, typically, the way I always learned it when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office was the federal government speaks through the indictments it returns. If you've got the grand jury, it, it, you know they return an indictment. Comey did not do that. I'll tell you where he violated protocol even further in just a moment. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so this Inspector General's report has come out involving James Comey, and and essentially says he didn't violate laws, but it said he violated FBI protocol in a number of fashions. As I was explaining before the break, the FBI does not make prosecutive decisions one way or the other. They conduct investigations. And if there's going to be a decision to issue charges, that's going to be made. Well, the the prosecuting attorney is going to make it, and then they'll take the case to the grand jury. Or if there's a decision to not uh, bring charges, that's also made by the prosecuting attorney. There's this form you fill out if you work for the Department of Justice that says case declined, meaning you're declining prosecution, and then you list the reasons. The FBI agent doesn't do that. Now, the FBI agent can say, you know, Jeff, I, I just, you know, we've we've run through all these leads. We don't think there's a case here. All right, fine. Or the FBI can suggest, you know, we think we've got various counts. You know, these are the money laundering counts. And obviously that, that's an input that you will value as you're working in this collaborative thing. But I'm not sure I ever saw a press conference where you have the director of the FBI come out and then go through what their investigation found and then explain why federal laws might not have been violated, but then say you're not bringing charges. Well, it wasn't his decision to bring charges anyways. What's apparently even more dramatic is that he made this decision to hold the press conference, and this is what the Inspector General's report says, without even consulting with the 
a Department of Justice or the Attorney General. Now, you will remember at the time, Loretta Lynch, who was the Attorney General, she was under all sorts of justifiable fire herself because she had this mystery meeting on that airport tarmac with Bill Clinton. Just, I mean, at, at best, it was bad optics. At worst, it was something else. But so, you know, she's compromised in a way as well. But Comey apparently never consulted with anyone saying, gee, what do you think about me having a news conference? What do you think about me setting myself up kind of as the king, announcing that I'm going to make these decisions? And as this report describes, substantial violation of Department of Justice policy and protocol. Um, why he did it, I, I don't know. My, I think that what's starting to come out is the guy is sort of an egomaniac, and this was sort of the way that, that he could go about and do it. But it was a huge violation of protocol, and I can remember screaming at the time, what is he doing? This is just not how things are done. Then after he did that, then it starts the whole snowball running because now he's come out, he's put himself in a trick box because now he's declared, well, there's not enough evidence to prosecute Hillary Clinton. He goes and he tells that to Congress under oath, and then they, they stumble upon this, this other information. You know, They find all these additional emails, and they have to reopen the investigation. Well, then he's in a position where he has to go public again because I think he's afraid that he's going to get charged with perjury if he doesn't apprise you know apprise congress of this new information bottom line is if he had just kept his mouth shut and did what fbi directors are supposed to do this would not have been a problem so in any event there's now a 500 page investigative report that goes through all the details of the stuff bottom line is it finds that he violated fbi protocol and procedure and I, I don't I think it's pretty clear they did it. I don't know that it comes up with a motive for him doing it, other than to say that they don't believe that it was politically motivated, that he was either trying to help or hurt Hillary Clinton. I just think he was probably trying to get his I, I, again, I think he's trying to get his face in front of TV cameras and get his name in the news, and he succeeded in doing that, but you know, he stepped on it big time, you know, when he ended up making that decision. Uh the inspector general's report also does address the that the political emails, for example, you had the high-ranking FBI official who was what romantically involved with the woman who was the lawyer for the FBI, and they're sending back and forth the anti-Trump stuff. The Inspector General's report essentially concludes that you know this this didn't have an impact on any of the investigations, but it was once again incredibly bad optics that contributed to the general distrust of the FBI. And I think that's that's probably true as well. I think that that's fair. Do I believe that there was a conspiracy to try to undermine Donald Trump? I, I really don't. But the fact is you had rogue agents and an FBI director who had this thirst for the limelight or whatever, and you put these things all together, and, and it ends up being a mess that does make the FBI look bad thanks to, uh, again, kind of this gang that couldn't shoot straight that started at the top with James Comey. And that, in a nutshell, is what the Inspector General's report says. When we come back, I I would say it is a staggering and a stunning crime, but I I think maybe we're just numb to this stuff. We'll talk about it in just a moment. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, we'll keep you updated on the uh, freeway mess. Uh, There's a semi that's disabled just south of the Marquette Interchange on 9443, and it's got traffic, he says a few minutes ago, backed up all the way past Capitol Drive if you're heading southbound. So bottom line is, for the moment, you want to find an alternative route or develop your patience. I was just looking through that. I've got my hands. I've got the Summerfest booklet. It's... 
I mean, the spring has been so generally crummy weather-wise that we're not starting to think about summer, even though 73 degrees now and appears it's going to be a warm weekend. But Summerfest, I mean, two weeks from yesterday. And, and you know, I mean, actually, I had a chance to talk to Don Smiley just the other day, and we'll, um, we will be broadcasting, we, I will be broadcasting live from several of the, the weekdays at Summerfest, not all of them, but several. There's a Brewers game on one day, and then there's a couple other things going on, but um, several days. So if you're down at Summerfest, be sure and stop off and say hi. But I, I'm looking through the um, looking through the lineup, and there really, there is something for everyone. I mean, you've got, um, for for the baby boomers, you've got acts like, you know, James Taylor and his all-star band. Then you've got... For people who might be a little bit younger, you've got Arcade Fire, you've got Imagine Dragons, just all sorts of uh, stuff that's going on there. And you've got a couple of the country shows that are there. I mean, it's just, I think uh, Bob Abish has done just a tremendous job of putting stuff together. And I think it's going to be a just a, a great event. I July 4th, Journey and Def Leppard. So that's kind of got the... You want sort of the the eighties nineties hairband type of stuff that's going on as well. Bottom line is, looking forward to Summerfest two thousand eighteen, and it kicks off in less than two weeks. One thirty five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and once again, we'll continue to keep you updated of what's going on in the freeway. If you're just tuning in, um, southbound I forty three, I ninety four, right. To pass the Marquette Interchange, just south of the Marquette Interchange, there's a, a semi that is disabled. They're dealing with that. Of course, you've got all that construction, traffic already backed up past Capitol Drive. So um, we don't yet know when it's going to clear up. When they do, I suspect it'll clear up quickly. But right now, it is a parking lot. All right. I, I just, I, It seems like on a daily basis, if I wanted to do a segment or two on this program talking about the latest just mind-boggling crime committed by juveniles around here, well, it, w- it would be easy. I mean, it, it, the hardest thing isn't finding something to talk about. It would be choosing which mind-boggling crime committed by juveniles you want to discuss. Well, this this one in Wauwatosa kind of caught my at- attention. Um, what happened is June 4th, 7.05 a.m., 7.05 a.m., St. Bernard's Parish, which is on like 74th and Harwood, out in Wauwatosa. There's a woman who works at the church. 7.05 a.m. All right, 7.05 a.m., she's going into church. Four teenagers who happen to be 14. This isn't even 18 or 19-year-olds. These are four 14-year-olds. Apparently roll up and they, they end up robbing her, physically yanking keys from around her neck. So she gets assaulted. She gets carjacked. So um, they steal her car. Before that, police say these four 14-year-olds had stolen a car from Shorewood. So they're on this spree. They steal a car in Shorewood. They're now stealing this, and this is a carjacking. It's the assault of, you know, an older woman as she's heading into work um, in the parking lot of the church she works in. After the Wauwatosa crime, police say the, the teenagers eluded officers in Milwaukee multiple occasions within a seven-hour span. Um, it, it's just almost mind-boggling as to how this type of stuff, you know, goes on. 
Um, at one point in time, Milwaukee police were involved in a pursuit of a stolen Kia, which was one of the vehicles they stole. They arrested the teenagers, and they found out that, okay, this Kia that they've been driving in had been stolen earlier in the morning. So you have this roving band of 14-year-old thugs that's driving around the, the city, and they're looking for you know crimes to commit. Well, here is the dazzling detail, and it's not particularly surprising. Now, it is, I guess, possible that June 4th might have been the first day that these four punks wake up and decide, hey, today's the day we're going to go steal cars, drive around the area, and then carjack a woman as she's going into the church where she works. It could have been that this was the first day at the rodeo, and they just woke up one day and decided this is what we're going to do. But that, of course, is not the case. Police said all four 14-year-old suspects, all four of them, all four have prior arrests and charges are currently pending through the Milwaukee County Juvenile District Attorney's Office. All right, our number, and all right, one more thing. I, I was thinking about this at the time, and just yesterday, two days ago, there was uh, something that appeared in the Chicago Tribune. And the headline in the Chicago Tribune is, as the number of carjackings in Chicago rises, so has the number of juvenile suspects arrested for it risen as well. And then it goes on and it talks about how Chicago, just like Milwaukee, is being plagued by this increase in, number one, car thefts, and number two, the the carjackings. And just like Milwaukee, in Chicago, what they're finding is that the number of people that they end up arresting for it who happen to be juveniles has gone up dramatically as they make these arrests. They're finding more and more kids, and I say kids in quotation marks, are stealing these various cars. Now, in this particular situation, apparently they have kicked it over to, this is the four kids with prior arrest records who are out there carjacking um, 60-some-year-old women uh, and then fleeing from the police again, with prior arrests. They've referred this matter to the the juvenile authorities. If they are charged in juvenile court, what it means is they can, at worst, be found or adjudged delinquent. Their names will not become public. They can be perhaps housed in some secure facility until they're 18. But as a general rule, that's all it's going to be. And chances are it's not going to be that bad. You will never know who these kids are. And my guess is, again, since there's been prior arrests, chances are better than even that they will, if they're not already out on the streets, that they'll be back out on the streets soon committing new crimes. I think it is time, way past time, for us collectively, law-abiding citizens that live in this region, to say enough is enough that we are tired of being plagued by these juvenile criminals. And I understand there's this image about, well, they're 14 years old, they're years old. I mean, how can you call them thugs? How can you talk about them being, you know, potential career criminals? These are just nice little children who are obviously kind of misguided. Nuts to that. Nice little children, um, misguided kids, aren't going out and stealing cars at 7 o'clock in the morning, physically assaulting 60-some-year-old women to try to take their cars. They're not driving around eluding police officers and leading them on chases. What you have here is a certain criminal class of juveniles. And just like we talked about yesterday, 
where the police, I think, in Milwaukee made it worse over the years thanks to the former police chief, Ed Flynn, and the Milwaukee mayor, Tom Barrett, and their insane policy of not chasing people, just like I think that made it worse. I think the way we handle juvenile criminals now doesn't get the job done. It is time to stop protecting juvenile criminals. It is time to start realizing that you have dangerous people that are out there, people with no regard for life, and yes, they may be 14 or they may be 15, but this idea that we are going to protect them, that we're not going to hold them accountable, that we're not going to disclose their names, because Lord knows we don't want to ruin their later life. Well, okay, I'm more concerned with what they're going to do next Tuesday when they're out again driving around in another stolen car looking for some 64-year-old woman to beat up and to take her vehicle from them. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think we need to start a complete rework of the so-called juvenile justice system. I think kids, regardless of age, that commit serious crimes like carjacking, I think their names need to be made public. I think we have a right to know if the kid living down the block from you was one of the people that decided to go beat up some woman in a parking lot at 7 or 5 in the morning and take her car. I think on top of that, this idea that, well, we're going to treat everybody with kid gloves is foolish. I think there needs to be mandatory minimum terms of incarceration. Now, maybe we're not talking about sending them to a pond, but I think you commit certain crimes, even if you're 14 or 15, you go to some secure facility and you stay there for a couple years. There needs to be penalties. This isn't harmless stuff. People are getting hurt. People are being damaged, and we're not doing anything to deal with it. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Got a text here from uh, Todd in Wauwatosa who makes me laugh. We're talking about these 14-year-olds who, 7.05 in the morning, were out at the church in Wauwatosa and carjacked or attempted to carjack uh, a 64-year-old woman as she was uh, going into the church where she worked, says, hey, they must not have had school that morning. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think they probably had school. That I just don't think they cared. I My guess is, my guess is that these were, well, I, I don't know, just kind of running these streets. I, I doubt that the fact that they might miss math class or something was of too much concern to them. Renee in Wauwatosa. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I have a couple of questions. Where are the parents, yeah. and aren't parents responsible for their children until they're 18? Well, you you would you would think, where are the parents is a good question. Do you mean, Renee, that on June 4th of any given year, you don't think your parents would have, uh, you, you don't think you would have been able to be driving around stealing cars and carjacking vehicles and assaulting women without your parents at least having some clue as to where you were? Uh, no. <laughs> Seriously, we need to put the parents in jail with the kids. Something. Well, it's ridiculous. You don't let 14-year-olds get away with this not only once, but multiple times. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a series of, I mean, they, they say these, these kids, and I say kids in quotation marks, they all had prior arrests. So, I mean, it's yeah. not like this is some sort of surprise. These are a bunch of dangerous thugs. They are juvenile delinquents, and obviously mom and or dad, to the extent mom and or dad is in the picture, apparently they, they just didn't care enough to 
worry about what their kids were doing. And then they need to be fined and held accountable. They're the parents. They're in charge. We don't need to be watching their kids or putting up with this type of activity. Well, that's it. Now, thanks to Kelsey. I mean, that, that is oftentimes, you know, we ask these questions, where are the parents? And, I mean, I my, my guess is, well, I don't know. Maybe this is sort of a Warden June Cleaver type of, you know, family environment. My guess is probably not. But, you know, you have a, a group of, of thugs, juvenile delinquents, use whatever term you want, who are out there terrorizing the city. And and that has to stop. And, and here's, I guess, here's the bottom line of this. Um, I, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. The district attorney's office is not good. When it comes to dealing with juvenile criminals, they are very, very soft. I mean, you know, car theft, car theft isn't going to even get you waved into adult court. They're not even going to try for, for that. The judges, the juvenile court judges in Milwaukee County are very, very soft. There is a revolving door that has these dangerous juvenile delinquents back out on the street um, very, very quickly. I mean, it's a dangerous revolving door, but that's not the whole place where the blame lies. And I have been saying this for a while now, and I'm just more and more committed to it. The, the the whole justice system, when it comes to juveniles, needs to be work, reworked from the beginning. Because the problem is, at much many parts of the Juvenile Justice Code were written years and years ago where we didn't have this type of crime being committed by kids of this age. You know, we, we had, you'd have the situation where, okay, somebody would go out, you know, and TP roofs. Or, you know, you had the underage drinking type of thing. Or, you know, maybe, uh, I, I, I don't know, you had, you had the small elements of vandalism. That's not what's going on now. What you have seen over the last decade or so has been a shift to increasingly more adult crimes being committed by increasingly younger and younger people. And, I mean, to an extent, the system's not geared to deal with that. I think what you got to do is you got to and look. And I'm all in favor of prevention. I, I'm I'm all in favor of doing whatever you can to stop somebody from being motivated to go out and attack a 64 year old woman in a church parking lot. Okay, I'm all in favor of that. But but we're past that point. Once somebody makes the decision to do that or to steal cars and to run from police and drive 100 miles an hour, at that point in time. I don't care if they're 13 or 14 or 17 or 27 or 37. For the love of God, can't we simply say enough is enough? Can't we say it's time to protect the rest of us? And, yeah, you're 14 years old, and you do something like this, you're going to be behind bars. You're going to be in some type of secure facility. You're going to be in Lincoln Hills. You're going to be wherever. I think it is time once and for all for legislators, for prosecutors, for judges to start caring about those of us in the community who are being victimized by this instead of just, well, okay, you have to understand these are misunderstood young people. Well, they might be misunderstood young people, but they are also dangerous threats to the rest of us, and we got to get a handle on this before more people are victimized or, Lord forbid, more people die. Russ in Milwaukee. Russ, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Russ. You know, with the advent of Castle Doctrine, if you're in your car and it, it, Castle Doctrine extends to your vehicle if you're in your motor vehicle, these kids are putting themselves at great risk. Um, you also, I mean, if they happen to pick the wrong person, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, you also have threat to use force. Can actually, if you see someone doing this, 
You know, if, if you see kids, that, you know, uh, going after a 64-year-old lady, you have you have uh, um, threats to use force to, to help that lady out, a third person. These kids are pretty, they're going to well, pick well, on the well, wrong person sometimes. Well, it it's is. It's bad. Yeah, Russ, I mean, right, That that's always going to be the risk. Now, that that's one of the words that's gotten out on the street. If you notice, a, a lot of the people who are the victims of these predatory thugs um, it, it tends to be women, and it tends to be older women, and sometimes older men, because they figure they're, they're less likely to be able to fight back. They're, they're not. Oh, I don't think this lady, this lady that works in a church, you know, uh, you know, she's probably not going to be carrying a gun at seven o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, that's what makes the, these people. There really are vultures because, again, they, they pick and choose who their targets are. But you're right. In, inevitably, what is going to happen? Is some of these these juvenile delinquent vultures are going to pick the wrong person, and then it's going to be the story. Oh, this this bad thing happened because they're going to pick the wrong person. That person will be in a position to defend themselves, and then you're off to the races. There, that's why it should never get to that point. It just shouldn't. And it's time for our political leaders and our prosecutors and our judges to wake up and recognize that we have a scourge in this community, and we've got to stop this. Day after day after day, you could do this story. And I admit, I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of reading about who's been the latest person victimized by an out-of-control 14- or 15-year-old kid with a lengthy prior arrest record who shouldn't be on the street in the first place but is back out again because we don't want to deal with the fact that we've got dangerous juveniles. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, in the next hour of the program, remember Kathy Griffin? She was the... D-list comedian who got in all the trouble for holding up the mock severed head of President Trump. Well, she's back again, and she's telling you what you should find to be funny. Stick around. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner. Two oh seven. Jeff Wagner, WTM. It's going to be hot. Now, Melissa, the, the, the heat index, you don't have to comment on this, but I... That, that's kind of like wind. Chill. I think that's one of these made-up things. You know what, what's that? That's the combination between like the humidity and 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 how warm it is and, and the actual temperature, right? That's well, heat index. They always say that's how it really feels out there. Right. Right. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, the actual I, temperature, and then being by the lake, it's always iffy. Right. See, I, I just I think that's kind of it, it's it's going to be hot, just like you know when it's January and it's ten degrees and there's like thirty mile an hour winds out of the north, it's going to be cold. So I mean, it's going to be hot. It's going to be cold. I think some of these numbers are kind of like the, these made-up numbers for whatever. So I'm I'm a skeptic when it comes to heat index, but it's going to be warm. I appreciate that. All right. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Kathy Griffin. You know who Kathy Griffin is, right? Everybody now knows who Kathy Griffin is, the self-proclaimed D-list comedian who thought it was going to be funny to pose for pictures with herself holding a, a replica severed head of President Trump. Kathy Griffin found that, okay, things that there are lines that you, you shouldn't cross. Now, I admit that those lines continue to get blurred. I, I still find it amazing that this D-list comedian Samantha B can go on a TBS show, use a, a word that I think every woman and every man should agree is completely and totally uh, offensive, um, with regard, and she uses the word in relation to um, President Trump's daughter, and, and then no no consequences at all. 
She's not suspended. She doesn't lose her show. Hey, as an interesting highlight to this, um, earlier this week, as I predicted, the Department of Justice's effort to stop AT&T from purchasing Time Warner, Inc. Now, this isn't Time Warner Cable. This is Time Warner, Inc., um, HBO, uh, Warner Brothers Movies, and you know other stuff, CNN, TBS, etc., that effort failed. The Justice Department tried to block that. That effort failed. So the merger is going to go through. AT&T is going to take over Time Warner, Inc. Here's one of the interesting things in the category of be careful what you wish for. Big story about this in the Wall Street Journal. AT&T is a very conservative, not politically conservative, but conservatively run company. It's the phone companies. And I understand that they're, you know, they've, they've got these other things, but it's... You know, button. It's you know, it's it's business guys with button down. You know, uh, collars and um, you know the 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 wingtip shoes and things like that. It is a conservative organization. Time Warner Inc. is sort of the freewheeling. This is this is Hollywood. This is like the Wall Street Journal. The story they were talking about today was, for example, AT and T is very fiscally responsible. If you are an executive at AT&T, you fly coach. There's only like nine people in the whole company that have the authority to fly business class. That's just the very top executives. Meanwhile, Time Warner, Inc., everybody flies business class. You know, they've got the limousines waiting for you at the airport with the guy that's holding the little sign. It's just there's a complete cultural difference. When they ask the president of AT&T, well, what he thought about Roseanne Barr's show being canceled when you know she sent out the text that that she did, his response well was, of course, you know, <laughs> he said actually his quote patient was, it seems like a no brainer. All right, so now it's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen now that the very state AT and T has purchased Time Warner Inc., which is T- includes TBS and CNN. My guess is that once this sale ultimately goes through, there's going to be a new sheriff in town, and I think people like Samantha B might find well a different reception if they decide to do the same type of show. But but anyhow, I, I digress. That's sort of one of the things that's going on. Well, anyhow, Kathy Griffin, who you remember, she just got all sorts of negative feedback, got bookings that were canceled after people thought that she had gone too far. Now, if she had done that today as opposed to when she did it before, I, I don't know because the, the Trump derangement syndrome is so out of control that, that maybe you think that anything does, in fact, go. But but Kathy Griffin, she's playing a martyr. She, she considers herself to be the martyr. Oh, this is so terrible. You know, Trump is awful. I should be able to say and do anything that I want. Well, she's still trying to collect her 15 minutes of fame on this issue. And she took to Twitter the other day. Now, Gru, who is producing the show, do you um, do you know who Kevin Hart is? Yeah, Kevin Hart, African American man, uh, probably the I would say he's probably the number one stand up comedian in in America today, uh, or right up there. I mean, he's very very Kevin Hart, very very popular. He's done movies and stuff. He's very very popular. So for reasons, well, I guess that we can discuss. Um, Kathy Griffin decides that she's going to take on Kevin Hart. Here, here's what she says in a, in a tweet. I do feel like this is such an anxiety-ridden time for everyone. 
that there is a thirst for all kinds of comedy. And look, if you want to not hear about Trump at all, go see Kevin Hart. He doesn't even mention Trump. I personally think that he's a, that I personally think that that's a, and then she uses a five letter word that starts with P, which again, in the context, I can't say on the radio. I personally think that that's a P move because he's a black man, but I guess he's selling more tickets than I ever will. She added. So he is, she essentially goes, and this is an interview with USA Today, then, then followed up. She just says, well, you know, I do what I do. And if, you know, if you don't want to hear political humor, go see Kevin Hart. Now he's a black man. And I think that that's a P move because he, he is a black man, but, but he's, he's selling tickets. All right. So she's calling this guy out again in an unfavorable fashion using an unacceptable term, a term that if I used to describe a woman, I would not be back on WTMJ the next day. I, I know it, but you know, she does this and she says this because again, you know, she's who she is. Uh, the feedback has been pretty strong. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I don't think there's any reason to criticize a guy like Kevin Hart. I think the bottom line is, outside of the hardcore tribe of Trump haters, you know, the, the Robert De Niro types, the Kathy Griffin types, I think that there is a universe of people on the left, on the right, and on the center who just want to be entertained, who don't who are sick of it, are sick of having the politics thrown down our faces. If you want to buy tickets to go see a show, you want to go see a show. You want to be able to laugh. You want to be able to enjoy yourself. And you don't want to have some, in this case, lefty celebrity doing 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes about how awful this country is or how terrible Republicans are or how awful Donald Trump is. Um, I think that's where mainstream America is. Now, I understand if you're part of the left-wing entertainment tribe, you don't get that. But, but I mean, I think Kevin Hart is on to something, and I don't think black, white, Hispanic, or whatever, I don't think you should be criticizing him for doing apparently entertainment that appeals to people beyond the realm of politics. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, when I go to a show, whether it's, you know, music, whether it's a concert or whether it's a stand-up comedian or whatever, I want to be entertained. I don't want to hear all the political riffs between songs. Make me laugh. Um, you know, play the songs, entertain me. But shut up about what you think about what's going on in the world, at least, you know, when when you're there and when you're performing for the audience. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I honestly think this just shows how clueless Kathy Griffin is. I, I think that there, if, if you want to sell tickets, if you want to appeal to people, even in the age of Trump, I mean, yes, there is some room, I guess, for the hardcore Trump haters, but I think there's starting to be a backlash. And I would apply that to late-night comedian shows. Um, I would apply that to shows like Saturday Night Live. They're, they're just flat not funny anymore. They're mean-spirited, 
and they're obsessed with one political viewpoint, it's kind of like meet the press dressed up in a different sort of way. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. I think Kathy Griffith's remarks kind of show how obtuse she is. She points out that, uh, oh, he'll be selling more tickets. Kevin Hart would be, uh, and he's not criticizing uh, President Trump. Maybe that's the point, that, you know, uh, maybe uh, you, you give people what they want to see, uh, and yeah. you, you'll, you'll actually be successful. The old saying with comedians, that if you work clean, you, you always have a job. Yeah. And maybe that's the same thing. And But uh, Kathy Griffith is either too blinded by hate or really, really obtuse. Well, I mean, th- thanks. To, I mean, it's just, and, and then we're going to criticize, you know, oh, he, and th- this is also the arrogance you get from the, the Hollywood elite. Kevin Hart is a black man. How dare he do comedy? How he how dare he do a comedy show that doesn't include criticism of Trump? Well, okay, my, my guess is he's probably made this decision that he wants to appeal to this sort of larger audience that's out there as opposed to this narrow casting, mean-spirited stuff that's there. And one of the examples I give, if you're regular in this program, you know I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, okay? I, I understand. Buffett is a big-time lefty. I get it. But, you know, he, he's a big-time lefty in his personal life. When you go to a Jimmy Buffett show, he doesn't throw his politics in your face. And the day he did would be the day I stopped going to Buffett shows. But, you know, you go to the Buffett show, and I, I don't care what his politics are off the stage. You know that you're going to get two and a half hours of fun kind of entertainment. People are going to sing along and have fun. Rick and Grafton. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey. Uh, Hi, Rick. Really appreciate the, the talk. and. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. It was interesting. It, um, you mentioned that Kevin Hart is probably one of the funnier guys out there now, but I think we'd all agree that one of the funniest guys over the last couple of decades has been Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. And um, I just saw an interview with him just recently, and one of the the, the, the talk show hosts asked him, you know, tell me what, what you think about politics. Did you ever do any bits on, on politics? And he just looked back at it and said, you know, just, that just doesn't interest me at all. And then he went into a hilarious bit about something about raisins or something. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was funny. It's just, He's just, he's just not going to do the gratuitous, you know, trying to get a laugh over politics. And I, the irony is I think Kathy Griffin's um, big shiny moment was her one episode that she was on, on Seinfeld, and she would, she would do, uh, do well to uh, kind of look at um, you know, yeah. a leader in comedy and, and maybe take a few lessons from him. Yeah, exactly. And see, I think that's where the majority of people – now, again, I understand that some of these late-night TV shows, for example – have had sort of a rena, you know, they've had some ratings boosts because of this. I continue to believe this is short term. I, I think the longer this goes on, the more people see the mean spirited nature of it. And, and again, you're, you're appealing to a certain tribe. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the tribe of anti-Trump haters that are out there. But I think more and more people are just going back and saying this isn't what we signed up for. And now this idea that you have a D-list comedian who is has the audacity to, again, criticize somebody, call him a derogatory name, again, a word I can't use on the radio, because he chooses to do, as a black man, non-political commentary that appeals to people, and it might be funny, non-political commentary and comedy, that appeals to people, you know, beyond just, hey, you know, what did Robert De Niro say about the president? Well, okay, no context at all. Yeah, some people love that. He comes out and says, blank Trump, not down with him, blank Trump. Okay, re- really thoughtful there, Bobby. I mean, you know, great, great thinking. Go do some more cocaine like you did in the 90s and kind of move on. You know, this, 
this this is the idea. This is what passes for thoughtful stuff. You got somebody who can be genuinely funny, and you're going to criticize him. Give me a break. Two twenty one. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Drew, who's producing the program today? Were you a fan of the Bodines? You love the Bodines. You grew up with the Bodines, so you were a fan. You still are. Well, I, I think the chances of seeing them perform together are probably slim and none moving forward here. The uh, the of course, you know, the Bodines, a very, very successful band to come out of Milwaukee. If you want to talk about, well, bands implode all the time. You know, it just, it happens. You get creative differences. People fight about money. And, and the Bodines, the, the founders, and they, they, they've been involved in an ongoing fight about money for a few years and songwriting rights and things like that. Well, earlier this week, the you-know-what hit the fan big time because... The now 26-year-old stepdaughter of the Bodine's frontman um, says that the Bodine's co-founder and former band member, what it's Sam Giannis, um, repeatedly molested her and had sexual con- uh, conversations with her when she was a child from 2001 until 2006 or 2007. And I think she says it all started when they were 9 or 10 years old, when she was 9 or 10 years old. Um, Journal Sentinel ran a big story about this. And, um, well, this is about, I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, things that cause bands to break up, this would probably be about as, as big a thing, as bad a thing as there could possibly be. I, I don't know any of the members of the Bodines. People that, people that I know that know the Sam Giannis talk about how he's always been a difficult personality. Now, that doesn't make him a child molester. They say he's been a difficult personality. But in any event, you know, he was scheduled to do a show at Summerfest. Um, that that has been canceled, apparently, by mutual agreement. But that's a, I think that was wise on the part of, of Summerfest, given the nature of these types of, of allegations that are out there. But it, it's it's been interesting because since the Journal Sentinel ran this story, you know, earlier this week, there's been really two two different camps that have developed. One, and I would be firmly in this camp, who I mean, I, I, I don't know any of the people involved. I take no position on the accuracy of this other than to say that these are very, very serious al- allegations and um, law enforcement is apparently not involved. But I don't know who to believe, but it's a very serious sort of allegation. There's this other school of thought out there, and I've heard from a number of people via email, criticizing the media for running the story. Well, there's no criminal charges here. This is just an allegation. It was never, apparently, I don't think, presented to the police. Um, you've got all this other stuff that's going on. This is, it's just tabloid father, fodder. You know, people shouldn't run with these stories. To which my response would be, well, of course this is news. I mean, these aren't anonymous sources. I mean, you have public or semi-public figures um, who have been a big part. You've got cele- their celebrity status. Um, big part of this community. This is the successful band that came out of Milwaukee. And you have a, a stepdaughter of one of the band members who's saying that she was, and she's, it's not like it's an anonymous source. She's saying this is the type of stuff that happened. This was what was done to me, you know, admittedly years ago. But, but she's going on the record making these claims. I don't see how you can't report it. Again, I don't know what the truth is. And it might turn out that this, the, that, um, you know, Sam Giannis is being unfairly tarred and with false allegations. And, you know, maybe he has some recourse. You know, where does he go to get his reputation back? Well, if this isn't true, maybe you file a lawsuit or something like that, alleging defamation. But for people who would suggest that this isn't news, of course, of course, this is, of course, this is news. There's no question 
about it, period. And the fact that he's not going to be playing at Summerfest this year, I think, is good all around. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Uh, as I was saying earlier, Summerfest starts two weeks from yesterday. And then Summerfest occurs uh, during the middle of Summerfest. You have the 4th of July. 3rd and 4th of July are a big deal around here. They're a big deal across the country, but they're a big deal around here. You have the huge fireworks display down at the lakefront on July 3rd. And then on July 4th, you have a number of, of local fireworks celebrations in many, you know, area parks, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's big. I mean, I, um, I typically, I watch uh, on July 4th, I, I have friends who live on the lake. Um, in Whitefish Bay, and we kind of have a ritual of going to their house and kind of having a party in their backyard and kind of watching the fireworks from the local park that's there. And I don't know if they're going to be in town this year, but it doesn't matter because we go over to their house anyways and, and use their space. But 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 it's better if they're there. But, you know, one of the things that typically happens is when you go to watch the fireworks on the 3rd or the 4th, a lot of times people will bring, you know, coolers, and they'll have various types of refreshments, and included in those refreshments will be um, beer. So here is the story. Today's TMJ4 had it the other day. Um, July 3rd, Muskego, at their Sky and Fireworks show, the police department has now said that alcohol is going to be prohibited at the July 3rd Muskego Sky and Fireworks show. The police department says that the new guideline is being put into effect to create a, quote, safer atmosphere for families and help the city with logistical issues. Uh, one of the parents that's quoted in the story says, my personal belief is it's a step in the right direction for the Muskego Police Department. We'll look forward to the 4th of July, however it may be. The Muskego Police told Channel 4 that alcohol, along with a rise in attendance over the years, has led to multiple altercations on Idle Isle Park during the celebration. And so they say that uh, last year they made several arrests of intoxicated individuals. Um, along with no alcohol, uh, families also won't be allowed to park on the island because of space issues. There's only one way in and one way out. All right. I think this is interesting because, you know, as a general rule, uh, we in Wisconsin like our beer. And it's not uncommon for people to go watch these various fireworks displays and to bring their coolers and to have their beer with them. Should more communities do this? Would we have a better time if we, in general, said no beer, no alcohol at these public fireworks displays? Should we ban alcohol on the 3rd of July? Should we say, okay, no beer anywhere? Should we ban it at the public parks on the 4th of July? Or is this an overreaction? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but I'm just, I'm curious. Should we, is there too much drinking around? And, and I think everybody would understand that, you know, nothing's worse than having, you know, some intoxicated guy who's, you know, passed out, you know, on the blanket next to you or who's being belligerent or who's being loud. There's no question that, you know, people who can't hold their liquor can create problems. Do we need to respond by saying, no more alcohol at public firework shows. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell you where I'm coming down on this in just a moment, but we'll discuss. What do you think? 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
240 HF Wagner, WTMJ. If you're going to the uh, 3rd of July fireworks in Muskego, leave your beer at home. They're saying, uh, no, we've had problems with drunken people, so we just think it's going to be a better environment. Would we be better throughout the community if that was the rule? Here's a text. The whole reason I do not go to the City Racine fireworks show is because of all the intoxicated people. I understand you can have a good time with alcohol, but unfortunately, the ones that can't handle it ruin it for everybody. I think alcohol-free is a great idea. Rose in Greendale. Hi, Rose. You're on WTMJ. Yes. Then cancel the beer gardens in the county park. Um, what, if you're not going to allow people... You you think the beer gardens are the same as the um, as the fireworks, huh? Yes, I do. If you're going to ban for fireworks, then ban alcohol in county parks, period. Do you think you need to do that? Well, why? What makes fireworks special? Well, I guess uh, thanks. So, I mean, I, I will see. Here, here's part of the distinction. Before he went nuts, I agreed with former Sheriff David Clark on on a lot of stuff, and then the last couple of years, I think he kind of went over the bend. But he opposed putting beer gardens in Milwaukee County parks for kind of that same reason. He was afraid it's going to lead to underage drinking. It's going to lead to problems. I I disagreed with him. And I will tell you, and this is from somebody who does occasionally within about, about three, four, 500 yards. There's the Estabrook of where I'm sitting now. There's the Estabrook Park Beer Garden. The Estabrook Park Beer Garden for Milwaukee County parks has been, and I think the beer gardens are in general, I think it has been a huge success. I know the Estabrook Park uh, Beer Garden has because what it's done is it's taken, in many cases, underused parks and it's provided opportunities, for example, for families to, to go and, and places for people to congregate. Before you had the beer garden at Estabrook Park, well, I, I will just say it was underused. I will say I, I think it was in disrepair. If I wasn't on the radio, I might use some other terms to describe it, but but the beer garden has completely and cha- totally changed that dynamic. But but here's the difference, Rose, I, I think, between the, the 3rd of July or the 4th of July and a beer garden. Okay, at the beer gardens, first of all, you have control. You, you have people that are serving the beer. Secondly, you have an environment that they've created that is pretty much family-friendly. And third, you can't bring your own beer in. I mean, you... <laughs> You know, you, you go over to the Estabrook Park Beer Garden, and they serve you the beer, and you have to put a deposit down on the, the glass or, you know, or bring your own glass that you purchase from there, and it's relatively pricey. It's not the problem. The beer gardens are not where you have the drunken people. The problems where you have the drunken people in the parks are where you have, I don't know, the, the 21-year-olds or the 25-year-olds or sometimes older people who go out and you buy the case of old style or old Milwaukee or whatever and, and pound them all down and get themselves wasted. I don't see drunken people in the beer gardens. I'm not saying this never happened, but I don't see that because it's got a lot of controls. It's a different thing when you have people showing up again at the fireworks shows and they bring their cooler of beer and they've been drinking all day, so they probably the last thing they need is more beer, but they've been drinking. So I do see a distinction. Having said that, though, I think stuff like this is an overreaction. My belief has always been that if you've got a problem with the drunk, what did the brewers used to call them back in the day? You know, the two-fisted drunken sloppers. All right, the, the answer isn't to say, all right, you, you can't bring, you know, beer to this event. The answer is <clears throat> to arrest the drunken sloppers. I mean, if you've got people that aren't able to control themselves, and the truth is, at these fireworks events, 
that's that's a relatively small percentage of people. That that's just the ultimate reality. And look, and I appreciate there's nothing that can spoil somebody's time more than you're sitting there and you've got your ten year old nephew with you and you've got some guy who's just way, you know, three sheets to the wind and every third word is a bad word and that type of stuff and being loud and aggressive. I get it can spoil people's time. But that's the folks that should be arrested and should be taken out in handcuffs and should receive those fines. So if you've got people who are behaving in a bad fashion and engaging in disorderly behavior, I I say arrest them. But the idea that you're going to punish everybody by saying, okay, well, you're not the problem, but we're not going to let you. You want to go to the fireworks show and you're going to sit there for a while and you want to have a couple beers on a warm summer night. You're not the problem, but we're not going to let you have the problem. We're not going to let you bring the beer in. The beer isn't the problem. The problem is the two-fisted slopper, and nothing that the Muskego police are doing is going to stop somebody from getting completely wasted before they show up on the grounds and still behaving that fashion. I mean, they're not going to stop that, so I don't know that they're solving the problem. Maybe maybe they deal with a couple people who get wasted at the event, but my guess is there's still going to be people that show up drunk, and they're still going to need to be arrested if it were me. I'd allow them to have their beer. All right, it is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.